following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Everything we have explained in this course of beginning self-transformation is preliminary. The most essential principle for transforming and elevating our psyche is the divine feminine. All religions bear a profound respect and veneration of the Divine Feminine, the Divine Mother. It is really the Abrahamic traditions that have lost sight of this and have adulterated the significance of her presence in the spiritual work. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam reject any femininity in divinity as an effort to distance itself, to define themselves against the so-called pagan religions. The reality is that God, the being, is not entirely masculine, but feminine as well. This is a profound fact which confounds and scandalizes religious fanatics. People who are accustomed to a patriarchal anthropomorphism who fail to recognize that God, the being, is not a person but a force an energy. Divinity is an intelligence. Divinity is within nature. And more importantly, within our consciousness. With distinct qualities. Principles. Characteristics that can really be qualified, classified, and defined 
as masculine and feminine. Yet not in accordance with modern societal mores, beliefs, ideologies. The reality is that divinity has masculine and feminine polarities of expression. Yet these principles are not merely limited to just physical gender. They constitute archetypes, forces, blueprints for creation, the expression of the spirit. We can say that the divine masculine is projectivity. It is symbolized by the positive polarity of electric charge. It is force, magnetism, assertion, willpower. It is the energy that initiates, which commands, that organizes, and even impregnates, engenders, disciplines, enforces. On the other hand, the divine feminine is receptivity. It is the negative polarity of electric charge. It is the force of conception, gestation, of nurturing. The sustenance that develops a child. The development of youth under the auspices of maternity. All religions, every ancient tradition teaches that the worlds, animals, human beings, and the gods are the consequence of sexual union, the harmonization of masculine and feminine. Every single cosmogony teaches this, how masculine divinity cannot create, cannot develop, cannot manifest, without the help of the feminine divine. Therefore, it is really ignorant to reject the divine feminine because of theological, theosophical, or vain beliefs. The divine feminine is a cosmological reality which we, the Gnostics, experience, which we develop through our meditations. A masculine god cannot create anything without the feminine goddess. Just as a man cannot have a child without a woman. As above, so below. The father, our innermost god, unfolds himself into the divine mother. She is the derivative expression of our innermost being. Through her, he is able to create life and create it in abundance. Through her, divinity is able to sustain worlds, awaken the soul. As Gnostics, we never forget the worship and respect, the veneration of the Divine Mother the Divine Feminine. Because just as we have a physical mother 
to whom we owe life. Likewise, we must show respect and profound adoration for our Divine Mother Kundalini if we wish to change because she is the force that awakens us. She is the one who elevates the soul, who brings us to spirituality, who provides us with astral experiences, profound samadhis, conscious experiences in the tree of life, the superior worlds of the Kabbalah. She is the one responsible for us because she is the one who raises us from suffering. Without her, we would be lost in this work. She is the one who initiates, who develops, and who completes this work, especially in relation to the disintegration of the ego. And so, today we're going to elaborate on who she is and her unique role in the work in this Gnostic path of self-transformation. Yet to do that, we need to comprehend and understand the principles of sacred sexology. The reality is that just as a man and a woman are needed to create a physical child, both sexual polarities, material and energetic, are needed to create the soul. This is stipulated throughout the Gnostic writings of Samael Omveor. It's simple. It's not elaborate. God creates both physical and spiritual life through sex. But that depends upon our intention, our mental state, our behavior, whether it is pure or degenerate, conscious or egotistical. Sex creates, it engenders, it develops. These principles are within every religion. How man and woman, husband and wife can use the creative sexual energy in order to give birth to their spirituality. That creative energy is the Divine Mother. And therefore, she creates in us. When we know how to use the polarities of sex, male-female, as above, so below. It is a law. It is the Dharma. The sacred knowledge of alchemy. We can believe whatever we want. But if we wish to create a child, a man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. To create a solar awakened consciousness in its full capacity. To realize our full potential as a perfected divine being, an angel. A man needs a woman, and a woman needs a man through conscious love and sexual cooperation. 
This is because birth is a sexual problem. It is not a belief. And therefore, the birth of the angel, the inner human being, the second birth cited by Jesus, is no exception. Through what is known as Tantra, alchemical union, the harmony of masculine and feminine sexes, that energy, which is usually expelled through desire for procreation, can be converted, can be conserved, sublimated, transmuted, transformed, so that the charged sexual forces of man and woman create a synthesis. This is the child of God, the Son of Man in Christianity, the Christ child, or Egyptian Horus, son of Osiris and Isis, the golden child of medieval alchemists, the Platonic Logos, the Kundalini Shakti power of the great yogis of Sahaya Matuna, the Shekinah of the Kabbalists, the brazen serpent of Moses, which is a metallurgic amalgamation of copper, a symbol of Venus, the woman, and the metal tin, the planet Jupiter, or the man. Both polarities, physical genders, are needed to create physical and spiritual life. However, we need to clarify. Gender is not a construct. It is not a concept. A morality, an accepted code of expectations in society imposed by patriarchy, by institutions. Something to be rejected or deconstructed by subversive logic. Gender is a material reality. It is based upon our generative organs. And the secondary sexual characteristics they attribute to our personality and expression. While our physical sex bears specific characteristics to our terrestrial personality, the divine principles of the father and mother are archetypical. They are abstract. They are profound states of being. There are correlations between both sexes, but they are not rigid. We can say that the Divine Father is wisdom, instruction, paternity. The Divine Mother is love, elevation, subsistence. In a perfect matrimony, the man embodies the principles of the Divine Father, and the woman embodies the principles of the Divine Mother in body, speech, and mind. So what is the purpose of transformation, as we've been explaining throughout this course? 
we seek to realize the true self, who is the Divine Father and the Divine Mother. They are within us. They are our true identity, our being. But we can only reach them through the three factors we explained in the previous lecture on the revolution of the consciousness. So while the Divine Father and Divine Mother are distinct in us, this is not to say that they don't share or embody the same principles, that there are rigid correlations here or correspondences. It's not to say that the Father does not characterize love or the Divine Mother wisdom. Knowing the nature of Divine Masculine and Divine Feminine is a profound matter of experience in the consciousness to go beyond our culture's conceptions of sex, humanity's subjective perceptions about gender, about gendered roles in society. What matters in these studies is that we appreciate and work with our sexual energy, whether it is masculine or it is feminine. We do so through complementarity to complement ourselves. A man for a woman and a woman for a man. But why? If you look in this graphic, you see husband and wife holding hands and their sexual organs symbolized by two triangles. There are the ovaries of the woman and the testicles of the man, as well as the vagina of the woman and the phallus of the man. The sexual organs are a battery. It is the most profound form of energy we carry within. One gonad has a positive electric spiritual charge, and another gonad has a negative receptive, feminine charge. In order for electricity to flow, you need both a positive and a negative. This is the essence of Tantra. For these energies to flow perfectly, masculine and feminine must reconcile. Notice that when you join these two triangles together, when the sexual organs of male, female, join, you create the Star of David, the seal of Solomon, the seal, the perfection of the solar man, a true master who has conquered the creative energies and has perfected him or herself. The masculine and the feminine complement they help each other to arrive at a synthesis, to generate light of a spiritual conscious nature. So these principles are extremely beautiful. Ancient mythologies teach us very profound and beautiful truths. And to frame our discussion, we can find the principles and qualities of the Divine Father and the Divine Mother reflected in a beautiful poem by Victor Hugo. He is the author of La Miserable, 
a very famous text, a humanist novel relating to the French Revolution. And Samuel Vier quotes a poem of his in The Perfect Matrimony called Man and Woman. I'll read it at length. Man is the most elevated of creatures. Woman, the most sublime of ideals. God made for man a throne. For woman, an altar. The throne exalts. The altar sanctifies. Man is the brain. Woman, the heart. The brain creates light. The heart, love. Light engenders Love resurrects. Because of reason, man is strong. Because of tears, woman is invincible. Reason is convincing. Tears, moving. Man is capable of all heroism. Woman of all martyrdom. Heroism ennobles. Martyrdom sublimates man has supremacy woman preference supremacy is strength preference is the right man is a genius woman an angel genius is immeasurable the angel indefinable the aspiration of man is supreme glory The aspiration of woman is extreme virtue. Glory creates all that is great. Virtue, all that is divine. Man is a code. Woman, a gospel. A code corrects. The gospel perfects. Man thinks. Woman dreams. To think is to have a worm in the brain. To dream is to have a halo on the brow. Man is an ocean, woman a lake. The ocean has the adorning pearl, the lake, dazzling poetry. Man is the flying eagle, woman the singing nightingale. To fly is to conquer space, to sing is to conquer the soul. Man is a temple, woman a shrine. Before the temple we discover ourselves. Before the shrine we kneel. In short, man is found where earth finishes, woman where heaven begins. We speak about both Divine Father and Divine Mother together to preface our focus on the role of the Divine Feminine. She is essential to the birth of our soul, and that we would not have existence without our Mother. The same goes for our spirituality. The Eternal Feminine exists in every religion. Both aspects of our being have been represented throughout every religious tradition without exception. 
The Divine Mother is represented by a sacred cow. But why? We nourish our body with the milk of a female cow. In the same manner, we nourish our consciousness with the milk of wisdom, virtue, creative energy, transmutation, the remembrance of our Divine Mother's presence. Even milk as a substance resembles semen. It is the seminal energy which nourishes our infancy and helps us to become a spiritual man or woman. The Divine Mother's love is so pervasive and so vast that she has been represented by the sacred cow of Hinduism within the Greek, Roman, and Egyptian Taurine mysteries and the life of Gautama, Buddha, Shakyamuni, and Krishna, both cowherds. In Islam, the longest surah of the Quran is Al-Baqarah, the cow, a symbol of divinity's power to resurrect the soul. Because in that scripture, Prophet Muhammad relates the magical and power, the influence of a cow, whose leg can resurrect the dead. That is a symbol of the power of the Divine Feminine, who raises us from the death of our spirit to the heights of realization. In Islam, the Qur'an is sung. The power of the Divine Mother Cow is in the verb and in sex. The stone or Kaaba of the Muslims. How we speak, as we stated in the lecture, the spiritual power of sound, determines how we spend energy, either for liberating the soul or enslaving it. Whether we produce beneficial action or bring about our own damnation, our own suffering. To spell the cow in Spanish is la baca. B-A-C-A. Baka backwards is Kaaba. All of this synthesizes through the Kabbalah, the mysticism of Judaism, which we've been exploring. The tree of life. We worship our divinity, the sacred cow, through working with our creative energy, which is represented by the blackened stone of the Kaaba. We need to purify this stone to make it whitened, pure. We do this through eliminating the ego. So even in Islam, which in its exoteric form strictly denies any femininity in divinity, teaches an esoteric doctrine, which is known and practiced secretly by the Sufis. Therefore, people who say that God is only masculine are really half-atheist because they reject the creative, maternal, feminine principle of divinity in themselves. So we have Isis above. We have Miriam, Mary, holding the Christ child. We have Athena, great matron, 
and defender of the solar Greek heroes. And we have Durga, slayer of demons within Hinduism. These images represent few of the infinite forms of our Divine Mother Kundalini. Because she takes on any form to teach us something practical in ourselves. And every religion and culture has expressed that principle in different artwork, paintings, statues, architecture, and forms. But why make these points? Why do we draw upon so many correlations in religion? We study all the mythologies and religions of the world out of love for our Divine Mother. She is our own being. She is the root of our most divine expression. She is the mediator for us between hell and heaven, the inferior worlds and the superior states of consciousness. She is the one responsible for elevating us out of suffering. Athena rescued Odysseus in the great play, or better said, great poem of Homer. The Virgin Mary raised the Christ child so that he could perform his mission. And Durga brought balance to humanity, restored the kingdoms of the gods when slaying the buffalo demon within the Hindu mythologies. And Isis restores the dead Osiris, the divine principle of the Father in us, through bringing back together his parts, which were quartered and drawn by the demon Seth. These are beautiful symbols about how the Divine Mother integrates the psyche, how she liberates us and performs religion. Reunion. We have to learn to work with our Divine Mother instant by instant, moment by moment. There is no progress without love for our Divine Mother because she is the one who gives us strength, who gives us courage to face ourselves, to self observe, and to not run away from what we see. She is compassion. For all beings, even demons or people we don't like. She is virtue and all the most elevated qualities of the soul and our being. She is the superior aspect of us. And sadly, despite this fact, many of us do not know her or recognize her presence. The reality is that we forget who she is whenever we identify with anger, with pride, with lust, gluttony, laziness, greed, envy, the ego. We have to learn to restrain the mind as we are emphasizing again and again. Because when we restrain our mind with intelligence, with remorse with comprehension our divine mother is present with us we are remembering her because she is perfection she is 
profound equanimity, deepened serenity, the resilience of virtue. She is virtuous action. She can only work through us when we establish an altar for her in our heart. So examine your heart. What do you find inside there? Observe it. Look at yourself, not with physical eyes, but with the sense of imagination, of perception. What do you see? Do you see love of humanity there? Do you see selflessness? Do you see conscious love for one's spouse, for one's family, for one's enemies? Or are we filled with hatred, with wrath, with violence, with despair? Many Gnostics write to us asking, how do I experience my Divine Mother? As if she is far away. The reality is that she is, to quote the Quran, closer to us than our jugular vein. She is within our psyche. But we don't recognize her presence if we are not looking. If we're not awake. If we're not perceptive about what is going on externally and internally. Some people think that to experience the Divine Mother is only through an astral experience in some tremendous samadhi in the clouds. There is a reality to this. But more importantly, the Divine Mother appears to us in dreams, in different forms, to teach us something about our life, about our physical behavior. For an example of this, I'll relate my own experience. Very recently, my wife and I went traveling out of the city of Chicago to go hiking. We wanted to get away from people and this situation with COVID-19. And we realized that we would have less exposure going out into nature than being in the city. So we arranged to travel a couple hours outside of Chicago. And on our trip, we were driving to a Starbucks. There was a huge line of cars waiting to go to the drive-thru. And <clears throat> I was driving. And at that moment, I had cut off a person who was in line who was angry at me. And he said some things which were not pleasant. That morning, before we left our home, I had an astral experience in which I was driving my car in the dark. It was 4 a.m. in the astral plane, and I was driving along a major road in the city of Chicago. Suddenly, I stopped intuitively in the middle of the street because there was no cars present. And I saw my physical mother in the dream approach the driver's side window. And with a lot of love, she gestured for me to step out of the car and to let her take the wheel. I did. I went into the passenger seat. And then she drove the car. And that was the end of the dream. 
I knew when I woke up physically that this was something prophetic. Something would happen in relation with my Divine Mother. So physically, when we were in the Starbucks line and the person I cut off was angry and spoke negatively towards me, I suddenly felt egos of anger, self-esteem, pride, and anger and violence emerge from my psyche. And I was really surprised because I've been observing myself and I never knew that I had these defects in this situation. And so my wife, who was in the passenger side of the car, said, let me take the wheel because I can see that this is getting dangerous for you. So I got out of the car physically. She took the wheel and I sat in the, dr- in the passenger seat and started to breathe deeply and pray to my Divine Mother. I was begging her, please help me to comprehend this rage that is emerging in my psyche and is threatening to take over. I breathed very profoundly, inhaling with all my capacity in my lungs, holding the breath for 10 seconds and exhaling for 10 seconds and just introspecting in me, asking my Divine Mother, help me to have serenity, to understand the culprits in my mind. And suddenly I gained comprehension and I realized and remembered the dream I had that morning. My Divine Mother figuratively is driving my car which is my three brains. And so by relaxing and praying, going into my mind, going into my heart, I was able to relax and let my Divine Mother take control of my psychological car. So after my meditation, I comprehended a lot. I understood those defects that emerged, which I later prayed for annihilation. And so this is a very beautiful teaching, very simple. I know we like to think of having experiences with our Divine Mother in the highest degrees of initiation, the highest sephiroth or spheres of the Tree of Life. But in reality, she comes down to us. She teaches us how to live so that we don't commit insanities. Because I was really angry. I was really surprised by how angry I was. And so I was begging my being to help me control this animal. And she gave me the strength. But of course, remembrance of our Divine Mother is a learned skill. We have to work very hard. We have to recite mantras. We have to breathe deeply. We have to do pranayamas, transmutation, energy exercises, whether in our mind or aloud. So we can feel her presence. So we can recognize her. We do so by observing from our pineal gland and our heart. The pineal gland is the seat of perception within our brain. It is where our essence sees from its energetic and conscious seat. It is the focal point of perception. We have to self-observe our three brains looking into our intellect, our emotions, and our motor brain through this perspective. 
in a spiritual conscious way. But we must not only observe to see and gather data about the ego in the three brains, but we have to remember the presence of our Divine Mother within our pineal gland, within our heart, the seed of our soul. We also experience intuition, prescience, presentiment, premonitions in the heart, the altar and temple of the inner goddess, Kundalini. So in the example I provided, I was observing from my pineal gland into my three brains to understand the thoughts, the feelings, and the will of anger, of self-esteem, of pride, of wrath. Because each ego has three brains. It has its own ways of thinking, feeling, and doing. So I was looking at that in myself and praying, help me to separate from this Divine Mother. Help me to comprehend so you can eliminate. And I immediately, intuitively felt her presence. A beautiful quality of serenity, of strength. She is a tremendous force. She does not use exertion of any kind. Instead, she opens the jaws of the beast with perfect equanimity. And equanimity is the most profound strength. So we have to feel her in our mind and our heart. How can a child forget its mother? In the same way, we have to recognize her presence, her identity in us, again and again. She is the voice of conscience. She is the voice of right action. Such as in the experience I provided. I knew the right thing to do, but my mind was really trying to destroy my life. And I fought with my mind, and I would not have been able to relax if I did not have her, my Divine Mother, and also the Divine Mother of my wife, who expressed in that moment and saved me, helped me to rectify the situation. So let your Divine Mother drive your car. Let her drive your soul. Your being. Even if it means that you need to recollect yourself. Whether you need to breathe deeply, do mantras, do prayer, walk out in nature. Take time to develop that stability of mind to deepen your serenity. Because that is how you connect with her. Not through agitation. Not through exertion. But through comprehension. As we explained, the tree of life is a map of the consciousness. It is a map of the being. From the most elevated spheres or sephiroth, the Hebrew term for emanations, to the most dense and material at the bottom. This is a distinct and clear map for meditation and our internal experiences which can clarify our understanding of where we are at in our work and where we must go. The Sephiroth also reflect different expressions of the Divine Mother. So as I stated, the Divine Mother is universal. 
She is formless. She is an energy. And yet she can manifest within the different spheres or sephiroth in order to help us. And Samael and Vior, the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition, provided five distinct unfoldments or expressions of Devi Kundalini that we need to understand and which we can relate to the tree of life. So you see here, at the top of the tree, above Keter, the father, the crown, you have the absolute, which in Hebrew is Ein, Ein Sof, Ein Sof Or, the nothing, the limitless, and the limitless light. In the absolute, in the Ein Sof, the Divine Mother is the unmanifested Prakriti, When the Divine Mother unfolds and expresses within the universe, within creation, we find that she manifests as Bina, intelligence, the Holy Spirit. She is the chaste Diana, Isis in Egypt, Tolanzin amongst the Aztecs, Maria, Miriam, Mary in Christianity. Or better said, the mantra Ram Io, a profound mantra to invoke our Divine Mother, Bina, intelligence. So these Sephiroth are different qualities of consciousness. They're different modalities and expression of the Divine. We also have something very important in relation to the death of the ego, which can relate to the sphere of Geburah, justice, the severity of God. This is the Divine Mother death. The Divine Mother death relates to the justice of the being who punishes the ego and annihilates it. She is represented as the terrible Hecate amongst the Greeks, Persephone, Coatliku, Queen of the Infernos and Death, the terror of love and law. She is the terror of the ego and the love of divine law, of order, of equilibrium, of karma. So in our former lectures on karma, we explained how the divine hierarchies are managed by divine beings with intelligence, with love. Knowing that law and loving that law is how we gain balance. And the Divine Mother Death removes the impurities so that we can be balanced. Harmonious beings. Integrated beings. We also have the special individual Mother Nature relating to Malkut, the physical body, who is the originator and architect the creator of our physical organism. Our body is an amalgamation of many elements. Mother Nature relates to our body as well as our environment. And our body is dependent upon Mother Nature outside. But our internal Divine Mother Nature relates to our physicality, 
our body, which we need to sanctify. And lastly, the elemental enchantress, to whom we owe every vital impulse, every instinct, relating to Yasod, the sexual creative energy, the foundation of our spirituality. So let's explain each aspect of the Divine Mother in more depth. The unmanifested Prakriti, the Ain Sof, is the nothing, the limitless. Prakriti signifies nature. Mula in Sanskrit indicates root, as in the root of something, such as phenomena, consciousness, experiences. We find Mula in our root chakra, Mula Dara, which signifies the root place, the root chakra. We use the term Mula Prakriti to refer to the Ain Sof, the abstract, absolute space, the root nature of our consciousness, which is cosmic and eternal, a profound form of space. The Divine Mother has no form. But that energy takes on form within the astral plane in order to teach us the essence, important things. Samael and Vior also refers to the Divine Mother Prakriti as the unmanifested Kundalini. This is understandable when we comprehend how the Divine Mother above, in the heavenly cosmic space, the Mula Prakriti, is reflected in our Mula Dara Chakra. So that cosmic space, that force, that energy, when it manifests into the universe, becomes the tree of life, the different Sephirot. Becoming more dense and material as it descends into different unfoldments or dimensions. So the Ain Sof is beyond any universe. It is within the abstract space, the cosmic consciousness, the selflessness of perfect seity. The Divine Mother above, Mula Prakriti, is the same energy that descends and becomes the serpent in our Mula Dara Chakra. Even Richard Wagner, in his Ring Cycle, which is an opera tetralogy, depicts the goddess Urda, Erda, the mysterious Ain Sof or Devi Kundalini, with the same musical motif, the theme song, as the sword Notang, the weapon of the great solar hero Sigmund, which is the essence, the soul, who wields the Kundalini, the sword Notang, in order to battle his enemy, Hunding, a symbol of the ego. No thong, no tongue, reminds us of nothing. The nothing, the space, the abstract, absolute space, the Ain Sof. And we've explained in other lectures and courses that the Ain Sof is a star 
a supra-atomic point, the synthesis of our real being. It is a light that shines within that space with perfection. It is known as the Glorian, the origin of universes. So this Mula Prakriti, this womb of the nothing, which is not understandable to the intellect, but is comprehended through experience. It is the origin of worlds, suns, galaxies, the infinites. All cosmic units are sustained, are born, are gestated, and they are destroyed and absorbed again throughout the great cosmic rhythms of activity and repose, known in Hinduism as Mahamanvantaras and Mahapralayas. These are cosmic days and nights, respectively. Periods when universes emerge from the Ain Sof. And when it is time, those universes return back to the nothing to enter a period of absorption and repose. This is the significance of many Quranic verses. You came from him, and unto him you shall return. Even the Arabic name Allah hides many mysteries. The syllable Al means the. It is the indefinite article. And La can mean no, negation. Allah traditionally represents or translates as the God, but literally is the no, the nothing. That which is not related to anything in existence because it is unmanifested. This is why in Islam, there are no statues or figures representing Allah because you cannot anthropomorphize space. You cannot characterize the divine feminine in her most abstract reality. The unmanifested divine mother never enters the universe in a, without taking form so that we can comprehend and receive insight in our work. The universe emerges from her universality. She is absolute, cosmic, perfect. Her center is everywhere, and her periphery, her circumference, is nowhere. She is the source that we aspire to. She is perfect liberty, a state of being that is so vast and expansive that it terrifies the ego. And so the nothing, the no, the unmanifested Divine Mother is the complete negation of our self. Because in that selflessness, one becomes the universe, the stars, the planets, the gods. It is cosmic, absolute, eternal. She is the starry heavens or Egyptian Newt in that respective mythology who shelters the heroes and the gods, those masters of meditation who have perfected themselves.
in the universe, when the light of divinity manifests and expresses, that unitary light of the Ain Sof descends and particularizes, individualizes. The top trinity of the tree of life relates to the Trinitarian unfoldment and expression of the being in the most rarefied and subtle levels. Our unique consciousness, our divine being, is a perfect unity. Yet to create life, she expresses, or that light expresses as three principles, since the law of three is how everything is created. These are forces, qualities, principles, archetypes. They are blueprints of any universe. They are not three people that constitute one anthropomorphic God. These three creative forces are known as Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Christianity. Every religion reflects these principles, but in different ways. It is one light that ex can express as three, so as to gestate worlds and human beings. So going back to that description of the principles of sex, man is the affirming positive force, woman is the negating receptive force, and together they provoke and promote the synthesis, reconciliation, which is the birth of the solar Christic consciousness. That synthesis is Binah, the intelligence of God in Hebrew. So our particular individual Divine Mother is the intelligence of divinity, because she is the synthesis of all universal wisdom, which governs creation at every level. She is the spouse of Shiva in Hinduism, known as Shakti, or Brahma and Sarasvati, or in Hinduism, or to find its equivalent in the Bible, you have Abraham and Sarah, Brahma, Abraham, and Sarasvati, Sarah in the Bible. These are all symbols that reflect truths that we need to experience. The reality is that in accordance with Gnostic Kabbalah, Binah is dual. Because Binah is reflective of masculine and feminine principles. Because remember that when you have affirmation and negation, masculine, feminine, positive, negative, you produce the synthesis. And in the terms of having a child, the synthesis of a husband and wife, the child reflects the qualities and characteristics of its parents. So you find both principles there. But of course, manifested as a boy or a girl. But it takes the qualities of both male-female, father-mother, in order to create something beyond itself. So Binah, the synthesis, is dual. It is masculine-feminine. Father-mother, in Hebrew, is known as Abba and Aima Elohim, in Hebrew. The sacred name of God, of Binah, is Jehovah Elohim, 
Elohim is a synthetic word. El in Hebrew is God. Eloah in Hebrew is goddess. Yod Mem, or the letters I am, is a masculine plural ending. Elohim truly signifies gods and goddesses. Our particular individual divine mother is Diana, the huntress, as we see in this image. She is the Virgin Mary, Miriam, or Mar Io, or Ram Io, which is a powerful mantra, as I stated, of working with the Divine Feminine. Miriam in Hebrew means to raise. She is the wife of the masculine aspect of the Holy Spirit, because the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three forces as one light. we can receive profound instruction from our own intelligence, the Divine Mother in Bina. She takes on forms within the astral plane to teach us, like in the example I provided. But let us also talk about the Divine Mother death, relating to Geburah, the justice and severity of God. This aspect of the Divine Mother is perhaps the most important, referenced constantly throughout the writings of Samael and Vior. Divine Mother Death is responsible for annihilating the ego. She is Kali, as we see here. She dances upon those couples who know how to harness the sexual fire of alchemy. Meaning, man and wife use their sexual energy, conserve it, and direct it towards the death of desire. To liberate the soul. So, of course, this image is terrifying. She has a necklace of many heads, representative of all the egos she has slain in the initiate who she stands upon. She is the power of the serpent Kundalini, which you find coiled around the left arm of the man whom she has conquered. Of course, that symbol relates to the left pillar of the tree of life, or the serpent Ida the energetic feminine current that rises from our sexual gonad up to our head, which is the contrast of Pingala, the solar electric sexual serpent that rises from the other gonad to the brain within the vital body. So the Divine Mother Death, despite her fearsome appearance, should not be feared. She is the liberator of our soul. She pulverizes the ego. She extracts the essence through successive profound comprehensions. So she only decapitates those egos we have fully comprehended in our meditations. So if we're single, we can pray to her using the mantra Krim. Prolonged. Such as this. We imagine those defects we have comprehended and that she decapitates them, impales them, disintegrates the egos we wish to remove. If we're married, we can have more force by which to annihilate those egos. But if we're single, we can still work with the Divine Mother Death. So, 
this is a very beautiful topic because Kali, the Divine Mother Death, is the power of sex. That which creates the soul and destroys the ego. She is the slayer of demons. She is Athena, who in the Greek myth of the Odyssey, helps Odysseus return home in order to battle the many suitors who have tried to take his wife, Penelope. In the Greek myth, Odysseus invented the Trojan horse during the Trojan War, conquered the city, and when trying to return home, was lost for 20 years. And so many men thought he was dead and tried to marry his wife, who remained faithful to him, a symbol of the soul waiting for the reunion of Odysseus, the solar man, the initiate. And when he returns home finally, he finds that his whole island has been ransacked by suitors. All these figures and people trying to marry his wife and eat off his land. But Athena warns him, saying, You must disguise yourself and discover your enemies. You must find out who is your friend and who is your foe. And so she disguised him with magic as a beggar that he, in this form, went around trying to investigate these people. And finally, in a great battle scene at the end, revealing himself, and with the help of Athena, with the help of Kali, killing all of those infidels. This is not a literal history. It is a symbol of working against the ego. And so Odysseus conquered and returned to his home. But only with the help of the Divine Mother Death. So she's very important in the work. And we could talk about more of the practices involved in working with this force, this liberatory energy. We have the Divine Mother Nature, who is the creator and the sustainer and maintainer of our physicality. The Divine Mother Nature helps us in Jin science, in magic, in theurgy in the act of placing our physical body into the fourth dimension. This is Jin science. She is the lever, Divine Mother Nature, or fulcrum of Archimedes, who said, give me a lever of support and I will move the universe. So Jin science, unlike astral projection, is when you, in a sleepy state, meditate upon your Divine Mother Nature the originator of your physical body so that she can take you in your physical body into the internal planes. So rather than leaving your body behind, you enter the fourth dimension, traveling in hyperspace. This is the significance of many myths in different world traditions where monks, priests, prophets, masters were seen flying, traveling through the air, passing through walls, appearing and disappearing, levitating. Every world tradition and religion teaches these symbols or these truths, which are not, in fact, a symbol, but how through tremendous discipline and work with the Divine Mother Nature, 
one could conquer the fourth dimension, enter those states. The most memorable of them all that comes to my memory is the Prophet Muhammad, who was meditating at the stone of Kaaba, Mecca, in which he fell asleep and was taken in his physical with his physical body upon a mystical creature called Al Burak, which was the had the form of a body of a donkey, the wings of a great bird, the tail of a peacock, and the face of a woman. If you're familiar with the Egyptian sphinx, with the paws of a lion, the hooves of a bull, the wings of an eagle, and the face of a man, or a woman, better said, you find that the Egyptian sphinx is paralleled in the ascension of Prophet Muhammad. And that is a symbol of divine mother nature. She is the one who organizes the elements in our psyche and in our body. The fire of our heart, our emotions, the air of our thoughts, the waters of our sexuality, and the earth of our body. So this is a feat that we can accomplish in ourselves if we work with Jin science. And we have practices that we're going to relate and some resources we have available online. We have the elemental enchantress relating to Yasod, our vital energies. She is known as the elemental instinctual female magi. She is our divine mother that works with Yasod. And we can invoke her and work with her to perform sexual magic, which is alchemy which is Tantra, transmutation. Saman Vir mentioned in The Three Mountains how he saw his elemental enchantress in the form of a pygmy, the form of a fairy, a beautiful elemental soul. So all the elements have soul, including minerals, plants, animals. And the divine elemental enchantress, our divine mother, this aspect of our divine mother, she works with the creatures of nature. And she is the sexual force. She aids us in becoming elemental in nature, purified, simple. She also helps us to enter back into Eden. Eden is a Hebrew word that means bliss. It is the state of the soul that we lost when we created desire by disobeying the commandments of our being. So this female magi helps us return to Eden, which we do so through alchemy, sexual knowledge, transmutation. She helps us with different forms of magic, such as ceremonial magic relating to the astral body, hod on the tree of life, the emotions, she also helps us with elemental magic relating to Netzach, the mind, the souls of plants. And she helps us with sexual magic, Yesod. So magic is the ability of the consciousness to exert will upon nature, to influence it. Doesn't mean that we pull rabbits out of hats. It means that we control all of the components of our psyche. And so the elementals of nature 
in relating to the plant kingdom never left Eden. Those souls that enter the animal kingdom eventually lose Eden in themselves because of desire, the animal method of procreation. This is why in Gnosis we work with plants. We work with plant magic. We command the souls of plants to vibrate with our level of being and to elevate ourselves, but also to help humanity. Because every plant in nature is a mechanism that can reflect divine force. And all plants have their purposes. This is very well known in different forms of medicine, Ayurveda, holistic forms of treatments. But in Gnosis, we study plant magic because it is extremely effective for influencing humanity in a conscious and beneficial way. I invite you to reflect upon some of the resources we have available in order to learn to work with our Divine Mother. Pretty much all the books of Samael and Vior teach us how to work with Devi Kundalini. You can learn about Jin science, especially in the Yellow Book. But alchemy is covered extensively in The Perfect Matrimony, The Mystery of the Golden Flower. At this point in time, I'd like to invite you to ask questions. You're welcome to type in your questions into the chat box, and I will read off your questions for you. Or there's a feature on Zoom where you can raise your hand, and I can select who to unmute so that you can ask your question. We have a question. If we have had experiences when our Divine Mother will not see us in the astral plane, does that mean that we have too much lust? I think that might depend on the person. But in my experience, when my Divine Mother has not been able to find me, it's because I'm too asleep. I had an experience also a long time ago in which my Divine Mother approached me with a radar in her hand. And she said with a lot of concern, pointing towards the screen, I can't find you. So usually in a radar, you see a green line that goes in a, around the circumference, the radius spins like a wheel and there's a little blip that'll appear when you find some kind of naval or ship or aircraft or whatever and so my divine mother was showing me this symbol and saying i can't find you because i wasn't being awake enough so obviously it could be in related to lust because obviously any ego puts us to sleep but most especially if we give in to lust desire Fornication, it could mean that we are very asleep because we waste the energies that are going to awaken us. We have another question. Is the word Devi relating to the word divine? Yes, there is that, that connotation. Devi also relates to Deva, goddess, such as the Devas of nature. 
the great elemental queens who govern the plant kingdoms, all those divine intelligences of the physical and internal worlds. Another question. Is the innermost inner being both the Divine Mother and the Divine Father? In Kabbalah, strictly speaking, the innermost, our being, is the Divine Father, known as Chesed in Hebrew. Chesed is the seventh sephirah from the bottom to the, to the middle of the diagram. Chesed means mercy. And he is the spirit, the immortal spark of divinity in us. The innermost is a child of the Divine Mother, Bina, the Holy Spirit. So in very intuitive logic, we can say that Osiris and Isis in Egyptian mythology represent father-mother within Bina, masculine-feminine. And their synthesis or child is Horus, Oros, the light, because in Hebrew, Aor means light. Oros is the gold of the spirit, because even in Spanish, Oros means gold. So the spirit, Chesed, emerges from Bina, the Holy Spirit. Another question. Is it possible that our Divine Mother is guiding us, but we are unaware of it? Absolutely. I'd say in reality that in our work, she is with us all the time, but we just don't see her. We're not aware of it because we're not paying attention. The way that you figure that out is by awakening in meditation and also learning to remember that presence in yourself moment by moment. Obviously, astro experiences can help us to have more clarity because then we recognize the same intuitive principle or feeling that premonition we have in dreams is the exact reflection of our daily life. And that's something that gives us faith. We start to see more and more that our Divine Mother is really with us all the time. But we're just stubborn. We don't recognize her presence because we don't pay attention. And in that example I provided of my Divine Mother getting in my car, you know, I didn't even realize what was happening even when physically I got out of my car and got into the passenger seat. And then immediately afterward I understood the symbolism of that experience. And the same quality that I had in the dream related to what I was going through in that ordeal physically. And that gave me a lot of inspiration a lot of joy, even when my mind was terrible. So she's with us all the time, but we have to learn to recognize her. Another question. Can you please elaborate on this prayer? Be thou, O Harit, my secret, the Gnostic mystery of my being, the central point of my connection, my heart itself, and bloom on my fertile lips made verb. Also, the question is about its significance and the best time to use this prayer. So, who is Harit? Harit in Egyptian mythology can relate to the Holy Spirit, who is our secret, the thread 
the intelligent, intuitive guidance of our conscience, the Gnostic mystery of our being, who is infinitely profound, and the central point of our connection. So remember that when you're self-remembering and self-observing, you have to remember the connection of your spirit within your pineal gland and your heart. So self-remembrance is a thread that you have to hold on to. It is the thread of Ariadne in the Greek mysteries when I believe Ariadne went into a, or better said, one of the Greek heroes, I think Theseus, went into the labyrinth to fight the Minotaur. And it was a vast labyrinth in, in the caves of that underground kingdom so that he could find his way back. Because the thread would point to him where he came from. That central thread or point is our Divine Mother. Because we have to remember the thread of our experiences. The continuity of our self-remembrance. Our mindfulness. The state of self-remembrance and being. Moment by moment. And that is our heart. It is what gives us life. Following our intuition. Not our intellect. But our heart. And in that way, she can bloom on our our lips, made fertile, made verb. To be fertile in lips is to be transmuting your sexual energy. Our speech is empowered by the sexual creative force. And she manifests in our words when we are intuitive. When we reflect on her qualities in our daily life, moment by moment. We can use this prayer anytime we meditate. It's especially wonderful in sexual alchemy when you remember the presence of your Divine Mother, when you approach the forge in which the Kundalini is tempered and awakened. Another question. When we take a spouse, are we unifying the Divine and Masculine energies in a way that affects or breaks the heart of the Divine Mother When we realize that we are not in the right marriage, are we affecting these divine forces? Obviously, adultery is a very painful thing. But also, being that we are asleep, we do make mistakes. Anytime we mix sexual energy with people or the opposite sex, we adulterate our consciousness and we weaken our conscience. So knowing who your partner should be or whom you should be with, the thing to remember is that we have to make good choices to not get in those situations, to not jump into relationships without prudence, without testing our grounds. But also the thing to remember is that if one is in a committed relationship and one feels that doubt that pain or that sentiment or feeling that one is in a wrong relationship, one should really meditate profoundly because any type of sexual connection is very serious, is very profound. It creates a type of signature in the astral plane, a type of marriage of forces, which we can't ignore, which is eternal. I would say anytime we 
disobey our Divine Mother, especially in sex, yes, we make her suffer a lot. We've made our Divine Mother suffer tremendously by having so many partners and not waiting for the one person to work with in accordance with our karma or with the law. So that's a very delicate thing to discriminate and understand. And it's always going to be very personal. So while I can't give you a thorough answer in terms of, you know, who is the right partner for you, obviously that's something you have to spend a lot of time reflecting on. So yes, we do affect our divine forces when we enter a sexual relationship without love. Because love is what regenerates the soul, not lust. Another question. Why is Ram Yo such an important mantra? Especially in relation with masculine feminine energies. Mary in Hebrew is Miriam. You spell Mary backwards. You have Ram Yo. Ram or the Ram is a symbol of Christ. The sexual creative fire that anoints the initiates, which particularizes and develops the pure unity of the soul. Mar in French means sea, the sea of Io, or the ram of Io, the child of the Divine Mother. Ramio is an important mantra because it works with Christ, the solar energies, and with our waters. It transmutes, we could say, or invokes very high forces in us because Mar is the sea from which the solar gods emerge. And Io, if you studied Greek mythology, has many representations as a beautiful feminine figure whom I believe Zeus pursued out of desire and love. Many Kabbalistic symbols there, which you can study on our websites. But in synthesis, Ramio is important because it is a seed mantra Io that works with the Divine Mother. We have another question. You said that our Divine Mother can manifest in other ways besides in our dreams. Does this mean that she can take form in other people from time to time when facing ordeals? Can you elaborate on that? The answer is yes. Samuel and Vior even mentioned many times and asked this question, how many times has your Divine Mother appeared unto you, O disciple, without you even knowing it, even physically? In the example I provided, where I was in the car at Starbucks, my wife was expressing my, her Divine Mother, and even my Divine Mother too, because she's universal, in order to guide me and say, let me take the wheel. So my Divine Mother and the Divine Mother of my wife was acting physically. So... She became the vehicle of expression of that so that I could face the ordeal and, and pass it to comprehend it. She can take form in other people and manifest anywhere, everywhere, at any time. 
because she is universal. She is space, but she can appear and manifest in any human being that is either prepared or has enough space to reflect that principle. Another question. Is there any prayer to the Divine Mother that you prefer doing sexual magic? Well, that's obviously going to be personal to each one of us. Obviously, if you're practicing in alchemy, you and your partner, or if your spouse is not into Gnosis, that's something that you'll have to gauge in yourself. But obviously, if both partners are practicing in alchemy, they should work and could work with other mantras that help with different functions, such as Kandil, Bandil, the mantra to awaken the Kundalini, or E-A-O, to transmute the sexual energy, or to annihilate the ego, Krim, to invoke the Divine Mother Death. So, I invite you to experiment if you're married. Try the different mantras to see what helps you most at a given time. Because different mantras have different purposes. Another question. Please discuss the origin of the reference to Mother Nature. And what is your perspective on why certain religions dismiss the significance of the Divine Mother? And or cast blame like the Adam and Eve story. So... Mother Nature is the originator of our body. Even the word in Latin, mater, meaning mother, is the matter of our body. So the spirit, the divine masculine, impregnates matter in order to give birth to Christ. The pure virgin matter, or mother, who represents the body that is purified through transmutation, so as to give birth to a perfect soul, the Christ the Son of Man. So these are symbols that represent different degrees and steps in the path of initiation, which you can read about in the course The Path of Initiation on GnosticTeachings.org, but also which you can study in our course on Chicago Gnosis called The Secret Path of Initiation. As for why religions dismiss the significance of the Divine Mother, it's because religions degenerate with time. And those who were in power were the men. Therefore, those men decided to make religion reflect their tastes. So that is why many beautiful traditions, which are very rich and profound, and even feminist, in a sense that the divine feminine is respected, those aspects of those traditions were gutted out. Because it did not, or better said, it was a basis of interpretation for persecuting and discriminating against women, which is sad. But when you know Kabbalah, you don't get confused. And don't let any type of patriarchal narrative or dogmatic patriarchy influence our readings. Could you elaborate on the Kalima? Is this an aspect of Kali? Kalima, or better said Kali, is the goddess of death. And Kali is dual. 
in a heaven above, she is the divine mother death who eliminates desire, the ego. But if we fornicate, if we adulterate, if we expel the creative energies, then that force of Kali produces the death of the soul through Kalima, the queen of the infernos. She becomes the tale of the demons, the inverted serpent, Kunda Buffer. So there are two ways to die, through initiation or through the second death. The ego must be eliminated either way. But if we wish to acquire development in our spirit, we work with the divine mother death in the positive sense. Removing the ego here and now in meditation through alchemy so that we can ascend the tree of life. But those people who don't want to eliminate the ego on their own let themselves be swallowed by nature, meaning by hell, so that they're recycled and disintegrated by the devolving serpent Kalima, the inverted aspect of the Divine Mother Death in hell. Another question. What can we do to be good children to our Divine Mother? How do we take care of her? We are a good child when we perform the three factors with fidelity. Comprehend the ego, eliminate it, act virtuously, and serve humanity. That is how we earn graces from our Divine Mother Kundalini. And we take care of her when we are chaste. If we are not saving our sexual energy, we are abusing the Divine Mother, committing a crime. So take care of her by conserving your sexual energy, transmuting it through many beautiful exercises such as pranayama, runes, sacred rites of rejuvenation, meditation. Take care of her by working on your mind, eliminating desire. Another question. Is our personal divine mother or father working in collaboration with other people's divine mothers and fathers in order to put us in the situations we need for our development? The answer is yes. Obviously, divinity is at a level that is omniscient. All of the divine beings of the absolute and the tree of life, those who have already done the work in past lives, obviously those monads are developed and know how to work in an intelligent manner. But our Divine Father and Divine Mother, even at a level of beginner, works with the law, works with karma, negotiates karma for us, and works with other solar divinities in order to help us. So all of that is determined with intelligence, because Bina is the intelligence of all the divinities in the universe. So that universal intelligence is pervasive, is cosmic. So that wisdom is universal, not particularized in one person only, but is manifested in many masters. Here's a statement and a question. I've had experiences with my Divine Mother in lucid dreams. I have also had experiences in this three-dimensional world that reminded me of my Divine Mother. Can our personal Divine Mother work through others or precipitate in the three-dimensional world, or is this a different aspect of the Divine Mother? So yes, the Divine Mother, our individual being, 
Bina can work through other people. Like in that example of being in the car at Starbucks, my wife, like in the dream I had that morning, said, let me take the wheel. So my divine mother and her divine mother were working together to help me get out of a mess, to help me not make a mistake. And so I'm deeply indebted to my being. And the Divine Mother can manifest physically in a material form. But that is usually performed through certain exercises of invocation and high magic, which you can read about in Esoteric Medicine and Practical Magic. And so another question is, do these personal Divine Parents have their Divine Mother and Father? We can say that the Tree of Life describes the different hierarchies of being. Our inner father is Chesed, the spirit, the innermost in Kabbalah. His divine father and mother is Bina, the Holy Spirit. And so, whether or not Bina has a father and mother, we could say in a simple, in a very profound sense, yes, because the Trinity of the top of the Kabbalistic tree of life emanates from the Ein Sof. And Samal and Vyar even mentions that the Ain Sof is father and mother in profound synthesis. So there are levels of hierarchy of light, which is why the Quran states in Surah Al-Nur, light upon light, levels of being, different unfoldments of one perfection. Here's another question. Can you speak about the secret path of the heart? How can someone who is highly intellectual begin to open their heart? Is it essential to return to childhood trauma? As a man, I find it difficult to cry sometimes and show emotion. What can I do to heal? Is crying necessary? I'm often encouraged to by my loved ones. What are your thoughts? The secret path of the heart unfolds through sincerity. Usually with our intellect, we like to justify or repress our psychological state, to not look at the reality and the facts, even if it's very traumatic. We know from counseling and trauma that early childhood trauma, as an energetic impact, conditions the psyche. And because it's so painful to look at that event, the mind defends itself and represses or hides that experience within the subconsciousness. And I would say yes, and really to understand trauma and overcome it, one has to cry because there is a tension in the psyche that is so painful and so enmeshed that it manipulates all of our actions in our conscious mind usually without our awareness. But in order to really confront our defects and those traumas, we have to really be willing to break apart. Whether it's from remorse or whether from comprehension. Because Sambhala Vyar mentions that in the work of the death of the ego and the work upon trauma, if we really understand our defects and death, we will cry because it's painful. So it's necessary 
We have a course on Chicago Gnosis that is going to elaborate more and more upon how to work practically with trauma. It's called Spiritual and Mental Health. We have one lecture up there already where you can learn about from uh, about some professional as well as spiritual advice about how to work practically with facing these types of conditions and the ways to heal. So there are many practices that explain how to do that. Another question. If we have an experience in nature, particularly with animals, which aspect of the Divine Mother is that? Nature or Enchantress? Or both? I would say both. Because animals belong to nature, but really animal nature is defined by instinct. The elemental Enchantress. So it's important not to think of the Divine Mother as separate from these different aspects. They're really expressions and enfoldments of one light, our divine feminine nature. So they're different principles that manifest in different ways in accordance with the Sephiroth and the internal bodies. But all of it interrelates and connects with each other. There's a question here. Are there specific practices or mantras that coincide with each vice? If so, can you list one routine for each one? I wouldn't say that we have separate mantras or practices necessarily for different defects. Really, the best practice to comprehend and eliminate our vices is, is retrospection meditation. But there are exercises that help to gain enough stability and concentration and serenity by which to work effectively in retrospection. For example, if your heart is afflicted with anger, it's good to work with a mantra O oh, to saturate the heart with positive force. Or if really uh, we are afflicted with lust, we can transmute our sexual energy so that we have enough control and stability by which to approach lust in our mind. So I wouldn't say there's a practice for each of the seven vices we could say, but you do find throughout the literature of Samal and Vior different practices to help treat anger. For example, like I related about the Starbucks experience, I was doing deep breathing to control my anger. That's something that the master gives in the book Introduction to Gnosis. One of the lessons he provides there. So as that you can let anger subside so that you can work on the mind, which is what I was doing in that experience. Another question. If we experience the ordeal of Dairene and failed, would this mistake cause our Divine Mother and Father to renounce us for the rest of this lifetime? That really depends. That depends upon the magnitude of the fault. How much energy is invested in lust? Obviously, if one fails the ordeal of Dairene and commits adultery, obviously there's going to be a lot to repair, if that can be repaired at all in terms of a relational standpoint with one's spouse. Because if divinity asks you to work with one partner and we betray our spouse, obviously it's going to be a lot of karma involved. That is going to be more difficult to un unfold. Whether or not that will be forgiven is something particular to each case. Because karma is very intricate and particular to each person. 
That's something that only your Divine Mother and Divine Father could show you from experience. Any other questions, we can use the raise hand feature. We do have a few minutes left. You can click the feature that says raise hand and we can unmute you if you'd like to ask a question. We have another question in the chat box. I've had many experiences in my time on this path. Oftentimes when the experiences begin, my mind or my mind truly struggles to understand how it is possible or whether I am worthy to experience these things. What can be done to help this? Well, the solution is reflect on your heart and your sincerity. Sincerity is the virtue that opens the door to experience. When we truly repent of our errors, not because we want to have samadhis or experiences out of craving and desire, but because we want to change our behavior. When we change our ethical behavior and conduct, we start to see results in our daily life. And that is when we become worthy to re receive very high initiations or experiences. It's something that has to be earned. Now, all of us, without exception, feel despair at times where we feel the pain and realization that we are so afflicted with ego that we don't know what to do. And this is a trial and trauma of the soul, a great drama or path of difficulty every one of us has to face. All of us have our own cross to bear. But the reality is that there is forgiveness in the law. And it is possible. But we have to really earn it. And that means suffering a lot to the extreme, if necessary. Because when we go through pain and hardship and feel that this work may be beyond our reach, and we realize that if we don't change, that we're going to suffer more, then we work regardless of the result. We do it because of love, without attachment to the fruit of our deeds. It's when you act in this way without expectation and practice in this way without expectation in which we start to really receive help internally. We gain experiences. So it is possible. And personally, from my past lives, I don't deserve to be helped. I've committed terrible crimes and I remember them with lucidity. So it's painful. And I've had to really weep a lot and pray for my Divine, divine Mother to help. Because without her, we are lost. But it is precisely at that breaking point in which she enters as light. And you have to be willing to receive that intelligence primarily by uh, facing extreme hardship. We face and overcome defeatism by meditating on those egos that complain, that say, I can't do this work, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Your Divine Mother knows best. So rely on her judgment, not on doubt. Doubt is one thing. Despair, morbidity is one thing. But remorse is something else. So all doors are closed to the unworthy except the door of repentance. And we show repentance by our deeds, our actions. 
So there's a question earlier. Can you speak about how to use the rune ear and how that works with our Divine Mother when working in sexual alchemy? So the rune year is the opposite of the rune man. And if you're familiar with the hippie symbol of peace, it is the rune year. The rune man is upright. And man is a representation of the masculine sexual force. So when you join those two runes together, year and man, you form the rune Hagal. And Hagal is the swastika, the cross in motion. And that cross in motion works profoundly when we're married, working in alchemy. So the different prayers you can do, mantras associated with uh, the rune year. I believe you mentioned some of them. Terrifying king of the sea, thou who has the keys of the floodgates of heaven and who does confine the subterranean waters within the caverns of the earth. These are beautiful prayers that relate to uh, different uh, teachings, but in sim simple forms, you work with the rune year and man together when you're working on alchemy. Because man and woman together form the six-pointed star, the cross in motion. We do it by conserving the sexual force and circulating it through mantra. How is the mantra cream used for help with breaking down food? Does this transmute the sexual energy from the food? The mantra cream is the force of destruction. It breaks down elements to extract the synthesis. So in the same way that you break down food when you masticate, eat the food and break down the material so that you can extract its nutrients, the mantra cream also helps us to annihilate the ego. Ego. So it takes the sexual power and directs it towards the annihilation of the self. Any other final questions? We'll wrap up. Here we go. Hello. Hey, good evening. Um, I wanted to ask you about that experience that you told us about um, at the Starbucks. And I understand like how you said that you became aware of your anger, but I was kind of wondering if you could or would um, share how or explained a little bit about how for you specifically you had some comprehension because a lot of times I'm aware of a lot of things in myself but I don't comprehend them and I don't understand kind of what it is to comprehend them I, I, I wish I could give you an example right now of what I mean but I just was wondering if you could explain a little bit about how that felt to you like to comprehend that moment great question comprehension is a spark it's really a profound state of being in which we say, aha, in the sense like I finally see something I never saw before. It's alert novelty. Comprehension is a type of energy that is like a lightning bolt. It shocks the consciousness. And 
not in a detrimental way, but in an elevating way. When we comprehend an ego, we are liberated in the moment because we see how that fault operates and conditions us. When you comprehend an ego, you are extracting the essence trapped in it. And then through prayer, the Divine Mother can eliminate. So in the example I gave you about being at Starbucks, what happened was that when my wife took the car, the wheel, when I got in the passenger seat, I suddenly understood in an instant with a great shock that I'm going through exactly what I dreamed about this morning. And it was a really brilliant moment of lucidity, of clarity, and the inspiration. Because when we comprehend our dreams and how they relate to physical life, you feel inspired. So while I was struggling against my own mind to control it, I realized that I'm being helped in this ordeal. And in that way, I felt enough peace and serenity to continue working on my mind in that instant because, you know, I knew that my Divine Mother was with me. So that's an understanding that and a confidence you develop through alert novelty, being aware of the instant, but also paying attention to your dreams and reflecting on their meaning. And sometimes the, really the comprehension emerges without thinking about it. You don't plan it or expect it. It just suddenly comes to you when your mind is clear, when you're observing, when your imaginative screen of awareness, your intellect is at peace and you can reflect the insight in your superior intellectual center. It just comes to you. But we have to be receptive as an intellect and active as a consciousness, as we explained in our former lecture, if that makes sense. Yeah, so so comprehension doesn't necessarily mean that you understand why you're doing what you're doing. It's just more that you kind of are just very conscious of the moment and the choices and and the ability to take control again or something like that or to make different choices or you know what I mean? Yes, there are levels of comprehension. So in that moment I understood that I needed to get into the passenger seat and to meditate right there so that I can go deeper and understand those egos that acted. So I knew in the moment that I had to continue being serene. And then when I was really concentrated, I understood four egos that I needed to eliminate. So light upon light, level upon level. And that answers your question. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the lecture. Um, I, I was wondering about, so I'm looking at Deuteronomy 11. This is the part where Moses is recalling asking the Israelites to recall everything that's happened as they go into the land of Canaan or the, into the new lands. And, and th this happens many times. I'm just going to read one verse, but this happens many times throughout this whole section. You must love the Lord, your God, and always obey his commandments, decrees, regulations, and requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Um, and when you mention his requirements, is this, and this is an is this an interpretation of the Bible where his has been, that's not what the Hebrew meant, or is this referring to shezed, which is a masculine aspect? Because of many hymns and his is in, the, in this section. Yeah, I'm not entirely familiar about the Hebrew in that passage, but if you go into the actual Hebrew transliteration, 
you will find more answers. You know, this is the value of knowing Kabbalah. So that when you look at the original Hebrew script, you can interpret what names of God are being used. So obviously El in Hebrew is Chesed, the spirit. And there are degrees of expression of divinity, which are mapped out by the different Hebrew sacred names of God, which we study in our courses of Kabbalah. So if you're familiar with that, you can go through those verses and see what name of God is being used. So every time you see God mentioned in English, you should look towards the original language to see what sacred name of divinity is really being referenced here to get more clarity. If that makes sense. In a paragraph, if like he is mentioned like five, six times, the actuality is that could be five different references that go beyond just the word he. Yeah, that's why we have to know what the Hebrew is telling us because, you know, that original script is going to give us the most depth of understanding. So you have to really meditate and judge what you're reading from the original. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.